it's a mono-ethnic Jewish church in Jerusalem. And then through these six chapters, the church goes to Antioch and becomes a multi-ethnic movement. And, and what you see in these six chapters is the Holy Spirit leading the church to tear down dividing walls of hostility between the peoples and to gather them together into one church. And so we're not going to get to Antioch until about chapter 11, but, but these, these six chapters, starting in chapter 6, it moves us there, and it's going to lead us there, and it's going to direct us there as we get there. And, and so we le- read at the end of this section, at, at the end of Acts chapter 11, it says, Antioch, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And the deal was that you couldn't call them Jewish people anymore because they weren't all Jewish. And so they needed, like, what do, how do you refer to these people? Before that, they were just simply called Jewish followers of the way or Jewish followers of Jesus or Jewish followers of the Messiah. They're just Jewish who believed that Jesus was Messiah and had come among them. But now by, by the time they're in Antioch, you can't just call them Jewish anymore. Like, we, we've got a new term for them, and they're just called, well, they're people who follow Christ. So Christians, that's what they called them in Antioch. It's the, uh, we're getting to the second major chapter in the uh, second major section in the book of Acts. So in Acts 2 to 5, we were introduced to the Jerusalem church, and I would call that, Acts chapter 5 is basically talking about Jerusalem, a church for all ages. That Jerusalem was set as a model church for, for all time, for all of us, to see that these are the things that characterize the church in every age. The church gathers around, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We today still meet weekly and meet and gather in homes during the week to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. The church again and again and again through those chapters shows us that the, the church was dedicated to, to fervent prayer and to, to bold proclamation. Uh, last week, we, we particularly looked at the church devoting itself to, uh, we talked about generosity, but, but selfless sharing, and, and that it was a church that had to be characterized by, by personal integrity, that, that what they said they believed was actually truly who they were. And so that's the Jerusalem church that's been characterized for us. Those, those first section of the book of Acts is to show us the church that we're to be in every age. But in Acts chapter 6, there's a shift here. And in Acts chapter 6, now we're going to be looking at the Antioch church and, and the chapters that are leading up to the Antioch church. And we're seeing that the Antioch church is a church for all people. And through these six chapters, we're going to be introduced to various different people groups. And as they're added into this church, so that at the end of, the, the end of these uh, chapters, you just say, I don't know what to call them anymore. They're Christians. And, and so we have uh, five groups as, we, as we're going to be working through. Uh, I'll be working through these in the next uh, couple of months. And we see, I actually did a, a series, la- or, uh, uh, I gave a message last fall to, um, to Anasep. It's a long word. It's the Association of North American Chinese Evangelical Free Churches, right? So it's a long thing. And I I was able to give, uh, I gave a a talk there, and I called it, I I gave a talk from the entire book of Acts, and I called it The Tensions and Triumphs of an Emerging Multi-Ethnic Church. And that's what the book of Acts is, and that's what really you see in these six chapters. You see tensions, and you see triumphs of the church as Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is tearing down the walls between the people. And I will tell you, and I want to just have a little personal testimony, personal confession time, that it has been through serving you guys as pastor here at Ottawa Chinese Bible Church 
over the last nine years that I think I really have begun to see these chapters for what they are and for what the Holy Spirit intended them to be. Uh, I gave a little testimony at, the, at that other talk. I'm a white guy from Wisconsin. Uh, my hometown uh, didn't have too many black people, maybe one or two in my high school. Didn't have too many Asian people. I'm just a white guy from Wisconsin. What that meant is I, I don't think about these things, and I didn't think about these things, about how Jesus tears down the walls of ethnicity and culture. I didn't have to think about them as I was growing up, as I was studying through Bible college. I didn't, I didn't, they weren't confronting me on a day-to-day level, and so I, I, didn't, I didn't need to. Um, I mean, we all just love the Packers, ate sausage, and a lot of cheese. That's basically, what do you do in Wisconsin? That's who you are. You're in Wisconsin? That's what you do. That's our culture. And um, it's really been at being your pastor for the past nine years here in a Chinese church, so a church that actually um, publicly identifies and labels ourselves as a church for a particular people group, and then to see how God has moved within our English congregation so that if you look around our English congregation even today, you will see that we are still a church that stands, uh, I say stands very firmly on our Chinese uh, foundation and our heritage, yet have become a church for all people and we preach the gospel and whoever walks through the door we love. And God has taken us on that kind of journey as our English congregation over the last nine years. And I've learned, as I've been reading the book of Acts, I'll tell you, most of the commentaries that you will read about the book of Acts are written by guys like me, generally white guys who grew up in white towns and teach in seminaries that not necessarily are bastions of diversity. And so you read the, some of the commentaries, and I'll tell you, the first couple times I taught the book of Acts, as we've been through these chapters, the first couple times I've taught the book of Acts in this church, I focused on the geographical expansion of the church. And that's how Luke frames this tale. He frames this tale through the geographical expansion of the church. But for Luke, in the book of Acts, and for Luke in the book of Luke, actually, both, I always have said this, for Luke, Geography is theology. And so he's framing this as the geographical expansion of the church, but ultimately he's telling the story of the ethnic expansion of the church. Remember what I said when we first started this uh, this series in the book of Acts. Luke is writing to a Roman named Theophilus who is asking, I really believe he's asking the question, Is the gospel for me and for my people? And remember what I said was, uh, today when I lived in, for example, when I lived in Japan for three years, or when I lived in China, a lot of the question I would always been, I would be asked would be, well, the gospel, that's a European, Christianity is a European religion. It's not really, is it really for me and my people? And if you work cross-culturally, that's a question that you're going to be presented with. You're going to be asked that multiple times. But Theophilus saw things a lot exactly opposite. Theophilus was a European. He's a Roman living in Rome, and he sees Christianity as an Eastern religion. 
He sees Christianity as a Jewish religion. And Theophilus is saying, is, is the gospel really for me and for my people? He's asking the same question. And Luke is writing, the Holy Spirit inspires Luke to write the book of Acts primarily to address and to answer that question in the affirmative, yes, the gospel is for you and for your people. And so that's what we're doing as we're going through these chapters and we're seeing, we're going to see, you're going to be introduced to these different people. You're going to be introduced to the Hebraistic Jews. The, you can think of them like the Hebrew of Hebrews. You're going to be introduced to the Hellenistic Jews. We'll talk about those two groups today. You're going to be introduced to the Samaritans and you're going to be introduced to what I call the good Gentiles and the bad Gentiles. Okay, so that's just a little bit of where we're going to go. And we're going to see that the church, as it expands, it goes through this, these changes and this expansion, not just geographically, but ethnically. So I have to thank you guys here at OCBC for helping me as I've been studying the book of Acts over the last nine years with you. Now, go with me to Acts chapter 6. If you have your Bible, go with me to Acts chapter 6. You can also see it up on the screen, but it's good. You can, it's good to hold. It's good to have something in your hand, right? And also, like, as I'm reading, as you get bored, like, as I'm talking and yapping up here, you can be, like, reading the other parts, and that's, that's fine. That's good. So have a Bible in your hand. Even if it's on your phone, that's great. But in Acts chapter 6, uh, we're, here we're going to see the first real internal tension in the Jerusalem church. Uh, so far in the book of Acts, most of the tension has been from outsiders, except for last week with Ananias and Sapphira and the question of their integrity. But here we see in the book of Acts the first hint of tension within the church. And it happens, notice, before the Samaritans come in. It happens before the, the good Gentiles come in. It happens before the bad Gentiles comes in. It happens, this tension happens, as the church is primarily still Jewish and in Jerusalem. So let's read together in Acts chapter 6. Or I'll read it, you can follow along. In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the, of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And I'll, I'll read verse 7, it's not there, but, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Amen. Notice the struggle is happening before the church even expands into those other people groups. Let's say, talk about three things as we go through this passage. First, the first is just the, the struggle is real. The, the struggle is real, man. And again, most Western commentators gloss over the cultural struggle in this text. Most commentaries, when you, when you come to this text, they'll talk about church administration, talk about church polity. They, they will see the problem here as being 
the practical administration of feeding the widows. That's not the heart of the problem in this text. The heart of the problem in this text is that you have two people groups in one church. You have two cultural groups in one church. And what's happening is one of the groups is feeling and being neglected and begins to grumble about how they are being neglected in the church. Let me introduce you to these two camps. And for those of you who grew up in a Chinese church, those of you guys who grew up in the church, you might see some parallels. You have the, here you have, the, you have the Hebrew Jews, the Hebraists, and you have the Hellenistic Jews, the Hellenists. First thing I want you to understand about these two groups is they're, 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 they're all, they're both, both groups, they're both Jewish. Right? They both come from the same people. The difference between the Hellenists and the Hebrewistic Jews, the Hebrews, I'm just going to call them the Hebrews from now on, the difference between the Hellenists and the Hebrews is not their ethnicity, not their ethnicity, the difference is their level of assimilation in the greater Roman Empire around them. So you have the Hebrew Jews who were still Hebrew in thought and in mind and in social group. They were still Hebrew of Hebrews. They still spoke Aramaic as the Jews of the time around Palestine and Judea did. They still spoke Aramaic, probably in their synagogues. They still read the Hebrew scrolls. They, they would have spoken in their families and to their neighbors as, as Jewish people would, speaking Aramaic. They would, have, they would have sent their kids to Chinese school on Saturday. I, I mean, sorry. They would have sent their kids to synagogue school. Sorry about that. Got ahead of myself. To synagogue school on Saturday. Their worldview of their mind was Jewish, Jewish. The Hellenists, on the other hand, had been scattered through the diaspora, and, and actually this, this, the Jews went through a number of different dispersions through their history. Uh, for example, when Assyria and Babylon came in and took over um, and, and, and conquered um, Israel, uh, there was a scattering of the Jewish people that was not by choice. But by this time in the Roman Empire, there was a lot of scattering of the Jewish people around the Roman Empire that was by choice. It was they were getting better jobs in different places. And so they were going to different cities like Antioch and Rome and to Ephesus and to Colossae and to, to Thessalonica and all the other cities of the Roman Empire. And they were raising their kids in an empire around them. And they were raising their kids and so their kids grew up speaking the language around them. They grew up speaking Greek. They grew up conducting their business and going to schools and having friends who were Greek in thought and in mind, although they were by background Jewish. They would read the Septuagint. So the Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Bible. And so this time around the Roman Empire, you have synagogues that have been springing up around the Roman Empire, and they don't have the Hebrew scrolls of Isaiah and other books. They have the Greek Bible, the Septuagint. And so they're growing up in thought and in mind, still Jewish as their culture, as their, as, their, as, their, as their heritage, but Roman in some of their thoughts and actions and thinking in their, in their mind. Now, they're still Jewish. This is not a religious conflict. And in fact, in this, in this church in Jerusalem, you have some of the people in this Jerusalem church being Hebrew 
And you have others who've come to Jerusalem for the festival, who, who heard the gospel at the day of Pentecost, who settled down in Jerusalem, and who are now Hellenistic Jews, and both of them are making up part of the church. All right? I'm wondering in our, in, in just taking the, the, you know, as an illustration, I'm wondering uh, how, how many of you guys immigrated to Canada? Okay. Awesome. How many of you guys uh, immigrated to Canada and, and would consider yourself Chinese. All right, cool. Now, there's, there's some in here. Most of the people in our church that would raise their hand are in the service that just concluded downstairs in our Chinese congregation. Now, how many of you guys grew up as children of those immigrants? All right, and, 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 and so you guys are what sociologists call third culture kids. Right? Where, where you're trying to understand, I'm like, well, I know I'm, Chi you know I'm Chinese, but I'm Canadian. But I'm Chinese, but I'm Canadian. And, and you're a third culture, you're a third culture kid, or sometimes called second generation. Okay? And, and that's kind of what the Hellenists were. They, were. they were third culture kids. The Hellenists. And, and, and how many of you guys eat on either side of that divide of, of, of the Hellenists and the Hebrew Chinese in the church? How many of you guys ever had tensions with your parents or with your kids? over different ways of thinking, over different languages speaking at home. How many of you guys ever had tensions? How, how many of you guys ever were in churches that had tensions between the Chinese and English side? Or between, <laughs> what? You guys are here, what are you talking about? <laughs> right? And so the struggle is real. The struggle is real. And what's happening in this church that has these two different groups, they're both Jewish in background, but they're different culturally. They are having tension in this church, and what's happening is that one group is feeling neglected. Right? One group is feeling neglected. Uh, right here. Now, in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And I think this is something that nearly all of us here can identify with, the tension of feeling neglected as a group in the church. I was talking about the talk I gave last fall in Attica, and we spoke about how this is a reality in our Chinese churches. And particularly, we, we, we talked about how in our English congregations, this is often a, a, a feeling that is from time to time expressed. English congregations in our Chinese churches generally started out as children and youth ministries, right? And, and then they grew, and, and the children and youth they grew up. They became young adults, and then they became adults, and they became married. They started having their own kids, but they were still seen as the children and youth ministry. And, and the idea of, no, that this is actually, we are actually part of the church. God is actually doing something part of the church. We're actually a congregation. We're actually a people that, 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 that have received the great commission from our Lord and have to go out and, and do likewise, that we are actually doing this as English congregations, there are times in Chinese churches where, where the tension is felt on both sides. The tension is felt on both sides. I mean, there have been times in our church here where, where one or other of our, church, of our congregations did not have a pastor. And there, I'm, I'm speaking pretty frankly in a Chinese church today. 
Like there are times where the Chinese side didn't have a pastor, and they're seeing stuff that was happening in the English side, and they say, wow, that's really cool. How come that's not happening here? And we feel neglected. There's times in the Chinese side where they're doing some really awesome things, and we're like, hey. And there are times when we have AGMs and budget meetings, and people are looking at the budget going, how come they get that, and how come they get that, and how come, and how come we're being over neglected? And, 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 and as I've talked to many, many other pastors working in Chinese churches, I'm not just going to limit to Chinese churches, but ethnic churches, there is often a feeling of, well, the other side's more important. The, other, the resources are going to the other side. The other side is getting all the... And, and here, perception sometimes is reality, and it can lead to tension and divisiveness, and we have to be very, very, very careful. And we need to recognize that this thing's happened. We need to recognize that that even this church in Jerusalem was having some of these same struggles. And it did not do for them to just ignore and to let it go to the side and hope that it's going to resolve itself. The, the apostles actually do something about this. Let's look at what they do. Oh, I, I went through that point very fast. That's fine. I could give you a lot more of examples, but I won't. What the apostles do is they recognize the issue, but also they set the focus and they, they maintain their priorities as a gospel-preaching church. And in fact, they focus on their identity and, and the, the core of what they are there to do, which is to proclaim the gospel. The church must remain focused. The tension, yes, it had to be addressed because it was a severe threat to the unity and ongoing mission of the church. However, when you look, it says, oh, sorry, we'll go to the next one. The church must remain focused. It says, here's what they do. The 12 summoned the full number of the disciples, and they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick up from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The, the, the tension had to be addressed, addressed, but however, it wouldn't do for the apostles to neglect the central task of the church, which is the word of God and prayer. Like I said, many interpreters look at this text and make it solely about church politics, that we should have some leaders in the church focus on preaching and prayer, spiritual matters, and other leaders in the church, usually called deacons, that would focus on the material matters of the church. And you can see how that you could get that from this text, that, that the apostles are going to devote themselves to the word of God in prayer, and we'll have other men that we raise up to take care of this business. And I would say that that might be a secondary implication, but it's not the main point. In fact, the word deacon that sometimes we attach to this text is actually used in the Greek three times in this text. The word where we get the English word deacon. It's used to say, um, first, the Hellenistic Jews were uh, grumbled against the Hebrews because uh, they were being neglected in the daily deaconing of the church. So first, so we, in our ESV, it's referred to as uh, distribution. And then, the apostles say, it's not right that we should give up, uh, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to deacon tables or to the, do the deaconing ministry of the tables. That's the second time it's used. And then therefore, brothers, pick out seven among yourselves. And then verse four, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the deaconing of the word. 
So it's not just that we've got two offices that are described here. It's that we have two ministries that are described that the church is doing. The deaconing of the table and the deaconing of the word. And what is happening here is the apostles are setting the focus in front of the church to point out that although the church has a ministry of deaconing to meet the needs of those gathered, the priority and the, our ultimate call in the gospel is to set forth the deaconing of the word and the deaconing of the word of God in prayer. And the apostles are saying, yes, we must resolve this tension, and yes, we must address this issue, but we cannot let this issue overshadow or distract us from our focus on ministry of the word and prayer. And the reason is because if you neglect the ministry of the word and prayer, you no longer have a church at all. The community is never elevated above the gospel that shapes the community. The gospel that shapes the community will then pour over into how we care for and meet one another's needs and take care of one another in the community. Uh, we have to get that straight. We have to be very careful about that. And so let me, let me say it again. The community, we, our, our fellowship that we share here must not ever overshadow the core of what brings us together, which is the word of God in prayer. But the gospel in our midst, the word of God in prayer, will then shape us and transform us so that we begin to take care of and that we actually are taking care of each other's needs. The community, that's what the gospel does to us. The preaching of the word is central above all else because the community forms around the message of the gospel. It's the gospel that changes hearts. It's the gospel, the good news that God has set forth his son as Savior to all who will turn to him in repentance and faith. That's the gospel. The gospel is that God did not leave us alone in our sins and our rebellion against him, but that he sent his son into this world to live among us, to fulfill the law of God that we could not fulfill. Jesus Christ fulfilled it on our behalf. And in fulfilling the law of God, he who is not deserving of death died in our place on our behalf as a perfect fulfillment of God's plan of redemption. He died for our sins and he was raised from the dead to show that he was the author of life and to proclaim to the nations that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name. That message and the power of the Holy Spirit behind that message is what changes and transforms lives. I pray right now if you do not know that you are separated from your maker by on account of your sin, but that God has made a way for you to be forgiven and renewed, I pray right now that you today will say, I see it now, and I understand I need Jesus to save me and to transform me. And you will then join the church, you'll be baptized for forgiveness of sin, and you will come and you'll be part now of this community that God is forming by the gospel. See, the community comes out of the gospel. The community never comes before the gospel. And so the apostle says, it's not right for us to neglect that ministry for this ministry. Because this ministry over here is foundational and central and everything else comes out of it. And so in this ethnic church that's happening right now, the struggle between the Hellenists and the Hebrews, the apostles rightly set before themselves the gospel. Knowing that the gospel is the only hope. 
This is what they do in every book of the New Testament when the church becomes started to become divided over ethnic and cultural issues. And I'm preaching now, so I want to hear amen. All right, so what's happening in the book of Romans, or, or check that, in the book of Corinthians, the church is divided over which, which, which teachers they follow. And what does Paul drive them back to? The gospel. When I came among you, I preached nothing but Christ and him crucified. And so stop following these other teachers because we follow Christ. And therefore, there can be no division among us. In Philippians, when the church is divided, what does God do? Or what, is, what does God do through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul? What does the Apostle tell them? Philippians chapter 2. If there's any unity in Christ, if there's any participation in the Spirit, make my joy complete by being of the same mind as Jesus, who... Being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality of God something to be held on to. But he emptied himself, and he left it, and he, and he took the form of a servant. And he, to the point where he took himself of servant onto the cross. And then God lifted him up. Every time in the New Testament, when divisive issues were threatening the unity of the church, the church is directed back to the gospel. Because it's the gospel that changes. The gospel is the power to transform us. It's the gospel's the part, the gospel's the only thing powerful enough to cut down your pride at the knees. And you realize there was nothing good inside myself, and that's not the reason why I'm here. It's because God has showed his grace to a sinner like me that I am here, and here I stand, and there you are. And man, do we need him. And by his spirit, he produces love in us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. And he's speaking collectively to the whole church. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. So you're, you're actually singing to each other. Speaking, teaching, and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts toward God. This is a gospel community. And so the word of the gospel must be kept central. must not be neglected. But then there's the practical ministry then of meeting needs in the church. And that was important as well. And so the, the leaders of the Jerusalem church, they see we cannot neglect the ministry of the word of God and prayer. But we also see this division that's coming on account of this neglect that has been identified in our church. And so what do they do? What do they do? Well, let's go. Emerging leaders carry the movement on. And this is why I'm arguing it's not about elders and deacons. It's not about church government. It's about raising up leaders from among the people who are going to carry the movement on and outward into greater expansion. Look what the apostles do in tension to the church. Uh, they, they say it's not right for us to neglect uh, the word of God in prayer. So therefore pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. And look what they do. They go to the church, they acknowledge the issue, they work out the solution. And, and look at, interestingly, what, what the Holy Spirit leads the church into doing, remembering that this is a cultural issue between these two groups. What do you notice about these men who the Spirit puts forth in order to, to, to meet this ongoing need and to resolve this tension in the church? And you probably don't notice this, but it says they chose Stephen, Stephanos a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, 
if you look at those names, what you notice about those names is that each of those names is Hellenistic. They're Greek names. In fact, uh, one of them is actually such a Greek name, he's actually a Greek who grew up Greek and then converted to Judaism. He's a proselyte of Antioch. And so these are Hellenists who are set forward. And I love this just because we had that joke that we had a couple months ago about like when we were introducing our deacons at our church and we're like, and here's you know, Adam, he loves the Lord, and here's Derek, and he I love the first one, it says, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And what? <laughs> and Philip, and, <laughs> and Philip, <laughs> you know. No, I'm guessing they all were full of faith in the Holy Spirit because that's what the apostles said, set out seven men. The point is that these men become the next generation leaders in the church. They, they do, they serve, in this, they serve in this ministry of the tables, but as you go on in the text, and as we go on over the next weeks, what we are going to see is it's going to be these guys, particularly Philip and Stephen, although we're not given what the rest of the, 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 the seven do, but we are actually pointed out that the next great expansion of the church as the, ch- as the gospel goes to the Samaritans, and even as it goes up to Antioch, is being spearheaded by these guys. It's Stephen who gives the sermon at the temple where he's martyred. And the the, the blood of Stephen's martyrdom is actually the impulse that scatters the church out into the region. And then it's Philip who goes and actually preaches the gospel to the Samaritans. The first time the gospel goes outside of the limits of Jerusalem, it's because of these guys. That's why this is not just about elders and deacons. It's about raising up a next generation of leaders for the church. Before this, the the emphasis in the book of Acts is on the ministry of the apostles. As we move into this this next section of the book of Acts, the emphasis is on these next generation leaders who are now coming up. These Hellenistic leaders that then go take the gospel into Hellenistic regions. These leaders that God has prepared for that outward and ethnic expansion of the church. That's who these guys are, and that's who these guys will become. And so so God has given the Jerusalem church wisdom in order to see that the movement will be carried on by these next generation leaders. God has given even the apostle Peter wisdom to see that the ministry of the church was beyond him. If Peter and the apostles said, we've got to do everything, they wouldn't be able to do it. They had to raise up other leaders to do these things. And then you look at what happens in Acts chapter 6, 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What does this mean us. Well, I don't know. I'm, I didn't really put any notes down here. So I hope I don't get in too, too much trouble. Um, what it means to us, a couple things. Number one, we need to be very careful about how we respond to tensions in family and in church. And particularly be aware that at times, because we're a multi-ethnic church, we are going to, we're going we're gonna to run into these sorts of tensions. Um, I remember a couple years ago, I was um, reading about this, about the Chinese church and some of these things, and I was reading about, um, this guy had this blog post about mailboxes. 
and it was about mailboxes in the church. And uh, I don't know, they, they had different departments in the church, had a whole bunch of different mailboxes. And, um, and, and, and that church was, was publicly talking about how much, they, uh, how much the English congregation was like full and equal partners with the Chinese congregation in the church. But the mailboxes had the labels from years ago. And the mailboxes, you had all the different departments of the Chinese congregation. And they all had their different mailboxes. And then the English congregation, the entire English congregation had one mailbox. It was just like everything for the, <laughs> everything got shoved into the one mailbox. And uh, the English pastor went to the Chinese pastor and said, don't you think this gives this weird kind of look? I if we're saying that our church is, you know, like, that the, that the English congregation is a like a real ministry of the church, but then it just gives this look. And, and so they changed the mailbox and they put all the departments side by side. I remember when we moved into 450 Church Hill. Nancy, you, I see Nancy, Nancy's coming in here. You remember this? Remember we moved into 450 Church Hill? And they had that huge pastor's office, right? A huge pastor's office, huge. Had some bathroom, hot tub, no, no. It was huge. And then there was like these couple other offices side by side. And the building committee said, oh, you'd be excited. At that time, I was the only pastor at the church here. And they said, oh, this would be so nice when we move into 450 Church Hill, you, you'll have such a nice pastor's office. And I was like, no, are you kidding me? No. And I actually had some people say, well, why don't you take that? It's a great office. And I'm like, yeah, but what would it look like for the church if I'm sitting there in that big office and then we hire a Chinese pastor and he gets this little office off to the side? I said, give that big office to Deborah, our office administrator, and I'll take this office here so that when we get a Chinese pastor, we will be side by side completely together. A and people can see that there's no tension. And so we need to be thinking about, like we as our church, we have to think through and how to, we, how do we honor the other groups, the other congregation, the other half, in fact, they're more than half, but how do we honor the other side? And I hope that they're thinking the same about us. There will be times, the struggle is real, that tensions arise. So what do we do then? Well, secondly, we keep the gospel our main focus. And, 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 we, and please pray for our board, please pray for our past, your pastors, me and Pastor David. Please pray for our ministry teams, the Chinese ministry team, the English ministry team, that we are able to work through these things when tensions arise. And that we, are, that we, as our heart and as our passion here, keep the gospel, the word of God, and prayer as our core, as the reason for why we gather. That's it. Third, we, as the English congregation, the Chinese congregation, and the entire church, need to continue to raise up, to equip leaders for the ongoing expansion of our church, the health of our church, and for the sake of the community, the city. And so pray for us in our English congregation, you can pray that, that we're able to do this, that we're able to, to keep the glory of the Lord ever before us, 
as we raise up and as we mature our leaders within the congregation and that the Chinese side is doing the same as well. Acts chapter 6 is the start of this movement in the book of Acts toward Antioch. And it's exciting for me to see what God is going to be speaking to our church through these next five chapters. Let's pray. Lord, um, Father, I pray, and I hope those here who are gathered with me today will pray for, for our church. Lord, I pray that we may be a church that keeps the word of God central, the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel central, that we might be a church founded and formed around you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I do thank you for, I thank you for the tensions. I thank you that we're not alone in seeing these sorts of tensions in the church. Thank you for this Jerusalem church that walks, walks through some of these things for us, for our benefit. I thank you for Luke having recorded this section of scripture for us to help us and to guide us as, uh, as your spirit forms um, these things even in us. Lord, I pray for our leaders. I pray for Pastor David. I pray that you will fill him with grace, with your spirit, that you would powerfully work through him. Lord, I pray that you give him grace and favor among the Chinese congregation and among our church as a whole. I pray that you further establish his ministry. Uh, Father, I pray that you use him greatly to do great things here in Ottawa. I pray that many, many Chinese believers, Chinese people who are coming to Ottawa will hear the gospel become believers through the ministry of our Chinese congregation. Lord, I pray for the uh, Chinese congregation, the, the Chinese ministry team. I pray for Kaiwan Pang, the, the new coordinator of the Chinese ministry team. Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom in how to minister the word and to pray and to meet the care and needs of those in the Chinese congregation. Lord, I pray uh, for our board. I pray for Mao Yang, Chairman Mao Yang. I pray for uh, our other members of our board as they are often the ones who, when there are tensions that arise in our church, that uh, they are often the ones to whom that burden falls. And so I pray for them that you will fill them with the spirit and give them wisdom. And Lord, I, I, I pray for the unity of our church, particularly as we're looking at moving very soon. I pray, Lord, for the unity of our church. I pray for the uniqueness of our church uh, here in the city of Ottawa, that there are unique things. And, Lord, I also want to pray uh, personally, Father. I pray for families uh, who are in our church, and I've talked to a few over the last couple of weeks, who this cultural, this cultural gap is actually in their family. The, the parents from China or, from, uh, or, 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 or immigrants from afar, and then the kids who grew up here in Canada. And then sometimes, Lord, they just don't know even how to, how, they can't even imagine how the others are even thinking. And Lord, I pray for families in our church to be formed also around the gospel. That, that God, that, that there will always be tensions that come about by age and by culture and by generation. There's always going to be those things, God. But form your gospel. Form Jesus in our midst. And I pray for families that are hurting. I pray for parents and fathers and mothers to be reconciled with their children and children to be reconciled to their parents. I, I, I pray the promise of Malachi over our church, God, that it says that when Messiah comes, he will turn the hearts of children to their fathers, the hearts of the fathers to the children. Lord, I believe 
because your gospel is powerful and because your spirit is real and active and personally here among us and your word of God is sharp that you can rebuild families and you can rebuild and and bring this church into greater levels of unity so that it might fulfill its mission here in Ottawa. And I thank you, Jesus, for this experience of being part of this church over the last nine years. I pray that you might continue to have each one of us praying that we may not ever stray from you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are going to sing about...